0: You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues Podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues Podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze the various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, distributed ledger technologies, and cryptocurrencies. In this episode of Blockchain Dialogues, we are going to explore a particularly interesting effort to improve the performance of blockchains by improving the performance of the network layer that blockchains run on. The network layer is the underlying set of technologies upon which the world wide web runs. There have been numerous efforts to improve the speed and scalability of the layer so that web-based applications can be delivered at ever greater speeds around the globe. One of the approaches to tackling this problem is the use of CDN or content distribution networks that can be used to cache content strategically around the world, so that no matter where you're located, there is a version of the content relatively close to you. For this episode, Nikhil and I had a chance to interview Dr. Uri Klaman, who is the CEO of Blockroot Labs, a company that is trying to solve the scalability problem at the network layer by building a blockchain distribution network or BDN. We took a deep dive into Blockroot's solution, discussing how their blockchain distribution network works, how it allows scaling of blockchains at the network layer and how the company plans to monetize it. Let's have a listen to the interview. Dr. Uri, a very warm welcome to you from Nikhil and myself on our podcast.
0: Oh, thank you for having me.
2: So to start off, could you tell us a little bit about your journey into blockchains and how you started with Bloxroot?
0: Um, So just like almost anybody else, like you kind of happen to fall into this space and then you just continue to fall deeper and deeper. So... My own personal like journey into it, like like everybody else, I started to hear about Bitcoin early on, right, 2012, 2013 or so, but wasn't really into it. And it was only when I started to do my research when I did my PhD at Northwestern University, um, I had this project which made sense and kind of like did something. It was crawling the web and was indexing um, web pages. And, but the pitch, the paper we wrote about it wasn't strong enough. And then we realized um, um, that, oh, hold on, we can build a blockchain with a networking proof of work. The right? idea, yeah, it's it's, it's a, an academic idea, right? It's not to be actually done in reality. But the idea is that you could actually build a blockchain where the miners, whoever create blocks, the byproduct of that is indexing the internet. And you could, if you have a lot of miners, you could reach Google's like Google scale in like three days or so. So at that point my research started pivoting from computer networks per se into oh computer networks and blockchains. And swan, and once um, myself and my then advisor and now co founder, Professor Kuzmanovich, when we started to look into that, then really think that then we were like, oh my God when we look at it from the networking perspective, we actually know how to solve the scalability problem. And eventually that ended up being blocks wrapped. So this was kind of like my journey into that. I am at heart, even before being a crypto guy, I am a networking guy. And it is the networking perspective that they bring with me, which at some point like just brought us to where we are today.
3: Awesome! Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and uh, so uh, I I can kind of see the journey uh, uh, from the networking perspective that you bring. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the networking challenges of blockchain? So you had looked at blockchains and you realized that there is this uh, big challenge. Can you just in your own words describe what is this networking challenge that blockchains have, and how does improving the network layer improve the blockchain as a whole?
0: So first of all, gladly, but second. Um, we're going to talk about this, and it's going to sound so simple and so like obvious that after we're going to talk about it, like, oh, everybody understands this. It should be like, like, like how could we not understand this? But that's going to be after. As a starting point, and this is almost non-technical, the way blockchains work, and it doesn't matter if it's proof of work, or proof of stake, or DAG, like Hashgraph, or Federa, all the blockchains out there follow the same principle. Somebody adds a new block of transactions to the blockchain. And that block needs to go to everybody else fairly quickly. So somebody else, another miner or another validator, somebody else could add the next block after that. And the result is that we're adding one block after another. And voila, we have a blockchain. But it turns out that if you want that blockchain to handle A lot more transactions. Let's say you want to get 100x more. You want to do, rather than three transactions per second, you want to do 300 transactions per second. Well, if we do this and you are the miner or the validator and you created a new block, then not, but you're doing 300 transactions every second, then that block will be 100x larger just in bytes. It has 100 times more transactions in it. It will be a hundred times bigger, and when you send it to your peer, you'll have to send a hundred times more data. It will take a hundred times longer, right? It's completely linear to, for that to reach the peer, and the time it takes to propagate to the entire network increases by a factor of a hundred. So you could definitely do a hundred times larger blocks, but now you will have to reduce the frequency of blocks, the time between blocks. Um, you'll have to reduce their frequency by a factor of 100. And you're back in square one, now doing 100 times larger blocks, but 100 times less frequently. And no gain in throughput, in transactions per second, was gained. And this is the scalability problem that everybody are talking about. You could do more or bigger blocks, but then I'll have to space them out further. Does that kind of make sense?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, What you're saying is that the blockchain uh, network basically has a capacity and a latency problem uh, in that based on the sheer physics of networking, uh, the size of a block has uh,
0: limitations. That is correct. And we actually proved that there is no other bottleneck. Okay, People might say, Oh, it's about processing power. If you receive giant blocks, you'll have to process them and they check their signatures. But your home computer can easily process 3,000 transactions per second. And if you have Intel's latest i9, you can do 20,000 transactions per second. And that's right now. I don't know what will happen in three or five years from where we are today. So processing isn't the problem. And another problem people bring up is, oh, what about Storage, right? If you're going to create these giant blocks and everybody has to keep these giant blocks, you'll have to have terabytes and terabytes of data um, that you'll have to store. And so, first of all, this, like between you guys and me, we know that storage is like dirt cheap. It's really, really cheap. It's not. It's really cheap to add a few terabytes of data and store that. But more important, even if you're that resource constrained, well. There is no reason to store the entire blockchain since genesis. You don't care how we reached the current state, how much each each account has, etc. You care about really current state and let's say last five blocks, or ten blocks, or fifty blocks, right? Just for the sake sure. of, of safety. But if you're that resource constrained, there is no point in really storing all blocks since genesis. It's, Serves no 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 real goal this way. So we made we we used to make this argument that argument and it also bandwidth which is related to the networking problem. But if you mm-hmm. have if you're connected to the internet with sixty megabits per second, which is probably half of what of what you have right now at home, then you could download fifteen thousand transactions per second. This isn't it. The only problem is block propagation. And in order to prove that, what we did um, almost a year ago was that we took the P- the Bitcoin code. OK, simplest blockchain out there, as is. We didn't turn off any knobs. We, uh, we did all the checking signature. We did the entire thing. And we deployed a Bitcoin network of our own using um, over 300 nodes and 30 different miners. And the only two changes that we did was first to allow for very large blocks very frequently, something like 100 to 150 megabyte blocks every minute. And the second thing was to use BloxRub, which I'm going to explain in a second, um, to use BloxRub to allow for blocks to propagate extremely fast. And that network works. Okay, That network processes at peak over 3,000 transactions per second. Um, the average was above 1,000 transactions per second. And that, we did that, this just to prove that there is no other bottleneck we're ignoring here. It's not processing, it's not storage, it's not bandwidth. None of these is nowhere close to being a bottleneck like the block propagation. So that kind of makes sense.
2: Sure. So uh, since you mentioned about block propagation and uh, even your white paper talks about this, Mm. so there have been approaches in the past, you know, which have looked to solve this problem, like the Bitcoin fast relay network and the Falcon network. Could you set the stage a little bit as to, you know, what uh, the approaches were in the past and how Blocksrote Labs is different?
0: Sure, definitely. That, that's, a, that's a great point. So I'm going to start with a somewhat general explanation and then go back to um, fiber and the Fast Relay Network, etc. Well, we are not the first ones to think that the block propagation is important. Um, um, Matt Corello from uh, Bitcoin Core built the first relay network, the Fast Relay Network. He wasn't actually aiming to scale Bitcoin Rather, he wanted to put smaller miners on par with bigger miners in terms of how fast they get their their blocks, because you could imagine that a large mining operation has more money to invest in in his networking infrastructure, so it's kind of unfair that larger miners will hear of blocks first. They can start mining sooner, they'll make more money, so he did this project of helping blocks propagate faster and this also connects to the um, another technology and um, called compact blocks okay there is compact block thin blocks and graphene all three technologies very similar the idea is that when you send a block if everybody's mempool are in sync if everybody in the network are aware of the transactions waiting to be added to the blockchain then when you send the block to your peer, you don't really have to send the transaction itself. You could send him the header and tell him, oh, inside I have transaction 5 and 13 and 27 and 105. So just tell him which transactions, and he will be able to reconstruct the original block, assuming you and him have the same um, um, perspective on which transactions are waiting to be added. So these techniques were developed ahead of us, or well, at least compact block was a thin, thin blocks and graphene kind of like in parallel. These techniques are great. We're actually taking a very similar approach. Um, but um, the problem that they pose is that this assumption that everybody knows all the transactions waiting to be included. And I'm going to go back to the fast relay network in a second. Um, but these techniques, which are very, very powerful, you can compact blocks by a factor of a 100 out of the gate with the simplest thing, just replace the transaction with a short ID. And you could do even more sophisticated stuff with bloom filters and IDLTs, etc. You can really, really reach a constant size. You could do extremely large blocks and really compact them if everybody are in sync regarding the transactions. The problem is that this assumption that everybody sees the same transaction fails as soon as you move to a lot of transactions per second. So um, at three TPS, at three transactions per second, everybody pretty much know all the transaction at the same time. But when you imagine 50 transactions or 100 transactions, let alone 1,000 transactions coming every second from all directions, then by definition, each node has a different perspective of which transactions are waiting waiting to be added to the block. even if you run a node, and I run a node, and they're directly connected, and we send each other sync messages, like, oh, here are my latest transactions. By the time we exchange this message, we already lost sync. Because you heard some transactions. I've heard some transactions. And so if you create a block and just tell me, oh, here, here's the compacted block. I tell you which transaction are in there, when I receive it, It's very, at high TPS, I'm going to tell you, I don't know what 25 is or 17 is or 35 is. Send me the transaction themselves. So these techniques are excellent. We actually use them if everybody are in sync regarding the transactions. Now, in addition to it, what um, um, the Fast Relay Network did was the idea that you could place servers all around the world and as a relay network, so any miner or any node can connect to it, send the, the send it to the block and it will broadcast it to everybody else rather than the slower peer-to-peer propagation. You send it to your peers, they receive it, they validate it, then they send it to their peers, they receive it, they validate it, etc. So we have these two types of techniques that we do here. Broadcast on one hand, um, with the, a relay network and compacting the blocks on the other hand, which are very promising on their own, but they both um, pose their own challenges. Um, I outlined why um, compacting blocks is hard at high PPS. The problem of a relay network is that it requires everybody to trust the relay network, right? It's kind of like if if you're a miner and you send your block to so it was originally called the Relay Network. That Then it was shut down. Then um, Falcon was developed at Cornell. Then um, Matt Corello deployed uh, Fiber, which is currently used at BTC. Um, but the problem with that is that if Matt Corello controls this network, and you're a miner, and you send him a block, if Matt, A, if he doesn't like you, then he can just reject you. Um, if you pay him, he might send it to you faster before he sent it to everybody else and worse of all oh, he could be a super nice guy not discriminating in any way but the FBI or the or homeland security can come knocking on his door and tell him listen you're not allowed to relay blocks touching any of these addresses here at least uh, addresses you're not allowed to touch them or propagate anything that touches them because they're suspected of terrorism or tax evasion or something like that and he could have the best intentions, but he has the power to um, um, censor and discriminate against blocks, which kind of like breaks the entire premise of blockchain, right? If everybody has to trust the centralized network in the middle of the blockchain, what's the point of the blockchain to begin with? Let's I just have a data. Right. Somebody would run a database, and we just trust him to do this well, a bank or something like that. So yep. blocks route, and this kind of like to wrap this up, Blocks are comes and try to solve these two problems, okay, to allow compacting of blocks by keeping everybody in sync regarding transactions so these techniques can be used and removing the problem of everybody having to trust the relay network. And this is like our provable neutrality and not turning into a single point of failure is really what we do different and that's kind of like what sets us apart. Um, one last comment before we wrap up the topic of compacting blocks and relay network. I have to say that again, Matt, when Matt deployed fiber and the the fast relay network, he didn't think of it as something or as as a means to scale Bitcoin. And because of that, it's not that bad if he. Rejects a block. Because if he rejects a block, the block would still propagate to everybody else. Albeit slightly more slowly. Okay, so it increases the chance of a fork or an uncle. But he doesn't have the power at one megabyte block, right? At three transactions per second. He doesn't have the power to prevent blocks from being propagated. But if you use the relay network to scale, if you're doing, let's say, a hundred times larger blocks, if the relay network like stops you and reject your block, you can't just, oh, propagate it over the peer-to-peer network. Right? We already established that. That would be too slow. By the time it reaches a few nodes, somebody else on the other side of the network would broadcast a competing block that will fork yours and our, or orphan yours. And it would actually prevent it even the power of the relay network to actually prevent your block from propagating. And was that kind of clear?
3: Yeah, it was it was very good. Uh, in fact, actually, uh, that covers a lot of what what we wanted to ask regarding uh, uh, Blocksroots uh, capability. You bring up one very uh, interesting point, though. So you say, you're saying that uh, Block's is different in that uh, it is able. You're able to be neutral, uh, uh, indiscriminate. You're unable to discriminate between transactions and blocks from anybody. So you cannot do any censorship. So, uh, how do you actually do that, in the sense that, wh- how, what is the mechanism by which you make sure that you cannot
0: do that? The, so, so, great. So, let's take us to our next one. Okay. We saw the problems. How is it that we solve them? So I'm going to outline our original design, and then a few of the changes that we recently added, which adds a lot to, to our performance and our ability to scale blockchains. Um, our basic premise was if we hide from ourselves, okay, if, or let's say even prior to that, let's explain how BlockShot works for a second. Blockstart is a blockchain distribution network, like right, a BDN, like a CDN for blockchains. Think Akamai for blockchains. Um, and the idea is that we have a network of servers all around the world which are optimized for to help block propagate. If you run Let's say an Ethereum node, or you're an Ethereum miner. And side note, most of the hash power in Ethereum is using us right now on mainnet. Okay, we have something like 70% of the hash power of Ethereum mainnet is using BlocksRoute as we speak. So blocks are already being propagated using blocks route. Um If you are a node, okay, or a miner, I give you a small piece of open source code. Okay, that's your gateway. Don't change your code. Don't change your implementation. Don't change your consensus. Don't change anything in what you can do. But take this gateway, run it on your machine where you run your node and add it, add this gateway as a peer. So it's a friendly neighbor peer. Okay, it's a peer that sits on the same machine. Your node doesn't even know that there is something different here. We're completely protocol agnostic. The nodes don't even know that we exist. But if you mine a new block, or hear of a new block, you send it to all your peers, you'll also send it to the gateway. Now the gateway, sitting on the same machine, will immediately get it, right, microseconds. It doesn't have to go over the wire. When the gateway receives a block, um, we keep, and I'll, get more, I'll give more details on that in a second, we keep all the gateways in sync regarding transactions waiting to be added to the block. So every few hundred milliseconds, we send everybody updates. Oh, here are new transactions. Here are new transactions. Here are new transactions. And not only do we give them the transactions, we also give each transaction a short 4-byte ID. So we tell them, oh, here are new transactions. This is 5, this is 17, this is 37, etc. When a gateway receives a block from the node, it goes, or let's say, what is a block? A block is a tiny header and then a long list of all the transactions it includes. So the gateway receives that, and then just go transaction by transaction, and replace each 500-byte transaction with a four-byte ID. So it compresses it by a factor of 100. It sends it to BlocksRoute, BlocksRoute broadcast it to everybody else. And let's say I'm running a node on the other side of the world. When my gateway receives this, it receives a compacted block, reconstructs the original block. and it gives it to my node. Your node and my node don't know any of it this that any of it happened, no more than they know if packets are sent over copper wires or fiber optics. Okay. They think that they just sent it. The fact that on the wire we sent much smaller pieces of data in order to represent the block is us this is what we can do to help in terms of performance. The nodes themselves don't know any of it. So now that right. we've established how up works in terms of performance and how we help with propagation, I'm going to go back to your original question, which is, oh, so how do you keep neutrality? How is it that you're not a single point of failure and you can't discriminate and you can't censor? Our original design and kind of like the foolproof, making sure everything we can't discriminate, was the idea that gateways before the, the a gateway receiver a block, it compacts it. But then before sending it to Blocks out, it encrypts it. So it sends an encrypted compacted block. So we don't know what's inside it. And we broadcast it to everybody else. And only the the original sender of the block would only send the key of which allows to decrypt it will only send it out after he hears from his peers, the other gateways. So gateways are connected as a peer-to-peer network of their own. And Mm -hmm. he would send out only after he knows everybody else receives this. So this, or you could think about it this way, we might discriminate based on what's inside the block, where is it coming from, and where is it going to. This technique prevents the first of these. We don't know what's inside it. We can't discriminate based on which transaction, which wallets, what amounts are inside it, because we don't know these things. And we only re- it's only revealed after the fact, after we gave it to all the gateways. So we can't discriminate based on that. Um, in order to prevent us discriminating or censoring based on where the block came from, then gateways can do something similar to Tor. Rather than send it directly to Bloxout, they relay it through one of their gateways. So if you're running a node in North Korea and we're legally not allowed to send anything to or from North Korea, then your gateway will send it to some other gateway in Europe, in America, in Australia. I don't know. We receive something from a node, let's say, in Europe. We don't know where, where it came from. We don't know what it contains because it is encrypted. And the same on the other end, Um, gateways can ask other gateways to relate blocks to them. So I might send it to a gateway in South America, which would then pass it, I don't know, to Iraq or Iran. Somewhere else we're not legally allowed to send anything to. And we didn't know. Okay, So we can't discriminate based on where it's coming from, because we don't know. We can't discriminate based on where it's going to, because we don't know. And we can't discriminate or censor based on what's inside it because we don't know it until it's too late. So this was our original design. This is meant to make sure we simply don't have the data in order to discriminate or censor. And um, after we deployed this and implemented all of that, it occurred to us that we can actually improve on this. So um, we did a test and um, with um, the Bitcoin. Miners and pools. So, Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash has the same set of pools and miners because they have the same hardware to do this. And we went to them and we wanted to check together how big of like how blo- how big blocks can we send at what frequency, etc. But we didn't just want to do a testnet like the one I described at the beginning. We wanted to actually use the pools infrastructure to get the real world like view on how well this works. So what we did was we used the Bitcoin Cash testnet. And for those in the audience who are not familiar with the big Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash-like debate, Bitcoin Cash is a fork of Bitcoin which has larger blocks, up to 32 megabytes. So what we did was that we worked with the pools. We used the Bitcoin Cash testnet, and we used our own infrastructure. And we did consecutive 32 megabyte blocks. We had great results. But what we learned in the process, and this is a super interesting point, is that, yeah, we help block propagate extremely fast. But more than that, if we keep the nodes in sync regarding the transactions, okay, we keep everybody knowing the transaction, all of a sudden, block propagation, not through blocks route, but outside of blocks route, just between the nodes, became as fast. So sometimes we were faster, but sometimes just the peer-to-peer propagation was as fast as blocks route. Sometimes we were faster, sometimes they were faster. Because if everybody, as we said at the beginning, if everybody are in sync regarding the transactions, you can compact the blocks. You can make them very, very efficient. And they just zip and reach everybody super fast. And so what we realize is that. Doing this entire mechanism to hide what's inside the blocks, etc., might not be needed, or you can always do that. It's implemented, you can always also do that. But if we keep everybody in sync regarding transactions, then all of a sudden blocks propagate extremely fast, and we are powerless to stop them, regardless where they came from, where they go to, or what they contain, because they can just propagate outside of blocks out
3: question yeah. on that sorry uh, so but earlier you had mentioned that uh, blocks route uh, is able to move it fast because you have actually created uh, four single byte IDs of all of the transactions and you are just moving the IDs right but if it is outside the blocks route network if it's a regular node uh, Bitcoin node that's communicating to another Bitcoin node that technology or that logic is not there. So how does then that, th- th- so they would have to move the large
0: block. So it, it, it's great that you ask this because that that does require better um, explanation. So Bitcoin is already doing this. They call this technology compact block and they use mm-hmm. the hash of the transaction, but only the first six bytes. It's not as good as what we're giving them. Like gateways could. Right. Like it's, we haven't implemented the more sophisticated stuff. Okay, like the simplest thing you could do is just a hash table that re, replace transaction with IDs. Um, you could do more, these more sophisticated stuff, and indeed Bitcoin already have this implemented per se. So BTC has compact blocks. Bitcoin Cash has some; they have several implementations, and um, one, some of them has compact blocks. Some of them has thin blocks, which is very similar. Some of them even have graphene, which is using more, more sophisticated like, techniques. So specifically for Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, they don't even need for the gateways to do this. Um, right. For, let's say, Ethereum and other blockchains, this needs to be implemented at the gateways. So first, Ethereum can just implement it themselves. right? Um, like if they implement it and it's not that complicated, they can pretty much copy paste it from um, um, mm-hmm. the implementation of Bitcoin. They can do this at the consensus layer, at between the nodes. Blockstrout, exactly. which is operating at the network layer, so we're layer zero. We're underneath the blockchain, right? We're faster internet for blockchains. Um, so Blockstrout, we prefer to do the implementation ourselves just in the gateway. It's open source, but we know what we're doing. We're very good at networking code, and we, like, we have expertise right. here, so rather than require each blockchain to implement this logic and make sure it doesn't like they don't mess it up. We can do do this between the gateways. So because the gateways create a peer-to-peer network of their own, they'll be able to zip these blocks. They will be able to use these short IDs that we give them. It's going to be even more efficient. But honestly, at the current state of affairs where we have tens of transactions or something like 15, 20 transactions per second, then at these levels, it's not even that important. Uh, the difference in performance with block versus less optimized, like compact block and graphene. Where you move to the hundreds and thousands and beyond that, then things become even more important. But I, th- th- so does that kind of answer the question?
3: Yeah. So basically, what you're saying is that uh, uh, it it just so happens that Bitcoin. Uh, and the, the Bitcoin source code and the Bitcoin uh, proposals basically have upgraded themselves to use a version of compact uh, of your compacting technology called compact block, and that's why they were able to uh, be close to your speeds in in the experiment. But uh, that is not necessarily the case for all the blockchains, and that uh, in the short term. So when you are trying to onboard a new blockchain. So maybe it's EOS, or maybe it's, uh, I don't know, Tezos or something. Uh, they... they uh, our our current is um, Ethereum. Just as a side note,
0: like Polkadot, we're very yeah, yeah. ontology, a bunch yeah. of them.
3: Right, so uh, a Polkadot or uh, Ethereum, uh, any of these chains could immediately get a benefit from your uh, technology, uh, but at, at uh, in the short term, but medium term, there is a possibility that they can also start optimizing their networks so that they are able to uh, uh, use uh, a other 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 means of propagating uh, at at close to your speed.
0: So, so you are correct. From our perspective, we are enablers. Okay, our job is to remove the scalability bottleneck at the network layer. So, one perspective could be like, oh, we remove this. You guys, whatever blockchain project or whatnot, you can now do this, but you have to implement like compacting techniques, etc. You could have this right. perspective, but it seems it it feels almost petty in my perspective. Oh, I did this, but you yeah, there, there are better ways to yeah, there are better so things to do with your we're, time. We're actually, we're, we're actually now implementing it ourselves in the gateways. Okay, so gateways right. also created So think of it as. A, a peer-to-peer network operating underneath the regular peer-to-peer. And from my perspective, in the long term, there'll be no need for the. Or each node would still be connected in the blockchain to other nodes, but it will c- be connected through the gateway. The gateways will be the connection to connect to one another. So by implementing it ourselves in the gateway code, then blockchain, like even in the short term, any blockchain that uses blocks can count on the gateways to do this work for them. Now, again, this is this is um, and in addition to our original premise, right? You could always just encrypt it, hide it, kind of etc., propagate it this way, and then it would just doesn't it, re- it already work this way in the short term? Um, but by doing by utilizing this insight that by keeping transaction in sync, um, um, we allow for block propagation, which we can't stop. Using this technology, we can be even faster. You don't have to wait for another round trip time. And we're talking like in the order of hundreds of milliseconds here. right? Rather than for it to take 300, 400 milliseconds, where we can do this like at 170 milliseconds or so, like fairly close to the speed of light. And regardless, so we make it faster, but more importantly, we make it bigger. We allow for even very large blocks. So in the short term, you can just use our original design and encrypt and relay through other gateways, and you get the benefit immediately. You can use this right now, no matter what technique you are. But this new technique actually allows us to improve our performance substantially. Does so that
3: kind of make sense? So, yeah. So, uh, again. So, but one thing that occurs to me at this point is that, okay. So, I'll play a bit of a devil's advocate out here. So, if I were
0: Great, I, I like devil's advocate.
3: <laughs> so, if I if I were the uh, uh, the networking uh, person uh, in blockchain, and I'm thinking about uh, Uh, You know, using the blockchain uh, blocks route networking uh, infrastructure, uh, I would basically say, okay, so there is two options. I can uh, encrypt my data, in which case uh, blocks route uh, does not know what's inside, uh, and uh, but but and and I get a speed booster, but it's not uh, as great as I would get if I don't encrypt it and I use blocks routes. Uh, just the indexing technology of Blockstore, right? And uh, but on the other hand, uh, uh, that indexing technology can be incorporated uh, into my uh, infra into my code so that I can actually use it in my regular uh, connectivity with my regular peers. Uh, and so that kind of uh, keeps them honest, so to speak, because uh, if there is any discrimination, my my connectivity with my regular peers would still let me know that okay there is some kind of uh, uh, speed slowdown so it may not be intentional maybe block route is slow down or there is some kind of uh, network uh, partition or something so but it gives me an alternative right uh, so uh, what is to stop me from saying that okay uh, or what my, what has stop me from thinking that okay if I do the encryption route and I in, implement the same encryption, because I'm assuming that block encryption and the gateways are open source so that, that I know what is the encryption that's being used, uh, I can still use that same encryption technology uh, in, in my own uh, implementation, right? And uh, uh, I could basically say that, okay, in this case, then uh, I'm also having an additional layer of security because uh, I'm also saying that there's no uh, visibility into my uh, packets, my data packets. Now, this is this is not necessarily much of an issue for Bitcoin or Ethereum, which uh, public blockchains and by principle basically have all their data public, but uh, might be more of uh, interest to uh, business blockchains like Hyperledger or uh, you know, uh, even even uh, privacy-focused blockchains like Vcash, uh where where they want to kind of make sure that uh, the data is
0: controlled and there is no visibility into the data. So 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 let me. I think your question had several parts, and I want to answer all of them. Um, one I think would be oh, what prevents somebody from just taking our technology and our code and just put it in their code author blockchain and like, okay, I don't need Blocks route. I can just like put it in my code and, and be done with it. So that's kind of like question number one. And question number two is if I broadcast it through Blocks Route and I have an incentive not to have it encrypted because I, I'd rather it won't be so so we propagate fast. Is it does this affect privacy or and, and anonymity for any blockchains that, or or, or any user that cares about this. And you know
3: that, yeah. Users that that are on that blockchain.
0: So so to answer the first piece um, regarding, oh, why can't us other take the technology and include, incorporate it in their blockchain, what we do, both for the first, for original design, and for the second one, is doing something which is not done in a decentralized way, OK? Like the same way that your internet service provider isn't decentralized, you're counting on it, BlocksRoute is provably neutral. And if it misbehaves, it's being replaced by other actors that have backup networks. But, but you could use Blocks because, or BlocksRoute propagate extremely fast whatever we do, because we keep all the nodes in sync. So every few hundred milliseconds, we send an update, oh, here are new transactions, here are new transactions. If you're running a new blockchain or a blockchain code and you want to incorporate that, for that to work, you need a, a single entity that does this, that does sending all the updates to everybody in the network. So, so you, the can't just, yeah, you can't just do this peer to peer because if we had a way to work at scale and keep everybody in sync regarding transactions, well, we wouldn't need blockchains, right? Blockchains solve this problem, right? How how do we make sure everybody are in sync and agree regarding some ledger of transactions? If I had a robust, scalable way of doing keeping everybody in sync regarding the transactions this way. I would be using this mechanism, and I would never use blockchains to begin with. This is a problem that we're trying to solve. So you can't just incorporate Blockstout into a blockchain technology. Rather, you need Blockstout service, but you don't have to place trust in Blockstout. Blockstout can't misbehave, and if it goes offline or gets shut down or whatnot, it is just being replaced by a different actor who will do the same. And if he misbehaves or let's say again, he can't misbehave per se, but he can go offline as well. It would also be replaced. So we work with the backup networks that are operated by others and could replace us. But you can't just take our code and include it in the peer-to-peer code, because it just doesn't work that way. So that was your first question, your first piece. Your second piece, or your second question, which is also important regarding um, privacy and anonymity, we have to differentiate for a second between the propagation of transactions and the propagation of blocks. Um, when we're talking about transactions, well, when you send a transaction through Blockstrap to, to reach everybody else, you don't actually have to speak with Blockstrap. You can broadcast it through somebody else. The same way that is happening right now, so if we're talking about Zcash, which is a privacy focus blockchain. If you create a transaction, your node will send this transaction to other nodes. Who will send it to other nodes, etc. You could do the same here. Send it to a few nodes, and then to a few other nodes. And eventually, it would reach blocks or then broadcast to everybody else, and everybody will be in sync regarding this transaction. Um, you could do more deliberate things, like um, dandelion is a technique to try and hide right. the IP address where transaction come from. And for the sake of yeah. the, for the sake of our listeners, um, um, um we it's called dandelion lion because it has the shape of a flower. So you send it to right. one peer, send it to one peer, who send it to one peer. So it's kind of like it creates a like the stem of a flower, and then of that third or fourth peer, broadcast randomly it. just broadcasts it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. You could do the same here with BlocksRock. You can do a dandelion, and if you don't want us to figure out where it's coming from, do something like that. Or your gateway, send it to another gateway, we'll send it to another gateway. We don't know nor really care where it comes from. So can you identify where it comes from by analyzing network traffic? Probably, yes. If you're Cisco, if you're somebody that but we don't change the attack vector here. If you could do it. If you could identify without blocks route, you can identify with blocks route. And we might actually make right. it harder for you. because All of a sudden, it came from blocks route. And oh, I don't know where it came from. But if you can't sure. figure it out without blocks route, then adding blocks routes to the mix, you still can't figure it out. So that's in terms of transactions. In terms of blocks and encrypted blocks, etc. cetera, um, we broadcast blocks. Blocks would always propagate to everybody else. Everybody will eventually get them. This is like the premise of a blockchain. So the um, privacy and anonymity really comes from the include the transaction included in the blockchain, and and um, um, I don't remember what I was there, but yeah, like it's not coming from hiding where the block came from. Well, and
3: my my question was slightly different than that. In the sense that I I was actually wondering. So okay, uh, do you actually encrypt the transaction itself, when it gets inside block, chart, block chart, or do you do just encryption of blocks?
0: No. So the idea for us is to um, encrypt just the blocks. The idea is that okay. transaction we propagate, and the piece that we do, that other people, that you need block for, is not to broadcast transaction. It's not for anything else. The piece that the block sort I'll give you is reducing this critical time. Where blocks propagate. This is what we do. Um, in our n- more in our latest technology, we take a further step and we say, "Oh, we achieve this by keeping everybody in sync regarding transactions, which reduces the need for encryption, et cetera, et cetera." But that is a supporting step we do for this main thing, which is propagation of blocks. Blocks must propagate fast, and for us not to be able to discriminate or censor. You could send it to us in an encrypted way that we don't know what's inside it, and you can hide from us where is it coming from.
3: Right. So, uh, okay. So imagine a, a scenario where blocks route is very successful, right? So you've got uh, your, like, Ethereum is using, 70% of Ethereum is using you. Maybe that becomes 90%. So it becomes very difficult to actually find a node that is independent of blocks route, okay? So at this point in time, you essentially have kind of like a god mode into what is actually happening inside the Ethereum network, right? You you can see every transaction. So if the transaction is not encrypted, right? Uh, it's possible for you to censor transactions at an individual level. Correct.
0: Okay, so th- th- that's a good point that you're bringing up. So the question, and and I'll take it even a, a, a step further. You're you're right on the money, and it goes back to. Our, how we maintain our neutrality. So you're arguing that Blocksroute being in the middle of it all, well, we receive transaction, we broadcast it to everybody else, and by keeping everybody in sync, blocks can propagate extremely fast. But what happens is Blockstrout doesn't broadcast the transaction, right? We receive a transaction, we receive an order from the FBI or or whatever not to touch these transactions, how do we make sure that these transactions are also being broadcasted and everybody receives them so they're not being discriminated or censored? Is that a good kind of like take on yeah. what the yeah. question
3: is? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, so first, let, let's define the scope of the problem. Um, such a transaction, if it's not being broadcasted through Bloxroad, would still more slowly be propagated to all the other nodes and all the other sorry all the, between all the nodes and all the miners and the pools and it won't be censored okay in the terms that we stopped it and going to my previous point, transactions don't have to propagate fast. Blocks have to propagate fast. That is what where the ability to censor comes from from rejecting the blocks. If we reject a transaction, that transaction might require 10 more seconds okay, to reach the entire network. But it would still reach them. The fact that BlockTrout rejects the transaction won't prevent it from reaching everybody else. So it's not censorship. Uh, but that, that it won't be censored by us. But if it's propagated this way, and miners, when they receive a transaction, and they know it wasn't broadcasted by BlockTrout, then they also know it can't be compacted as efficiently. So such transactions are going to be required to pay a higher fee to them to persuade the miner to include them compared to the more compacted transactions, right? It's kind of like, oh, you could either add this transaction which adds five hundred bytes, or a block share transaction which pays just like adds. So the possible um, a negative effect exactly. here, yeah, is is economical, which is still important. But I want to frame. But what might happen is that transactions we reject might, at the worst case scenario, have to pay more than the minimal fee, right? With with blo- and we're going to we're going to have to talk about the fees for a second. Um, but it might have to pay more to be treated equally to a transaction that we do broadcast. Okay, so just to frame what is that um, um, that we're trying to prevent here. So it's not censorship. Blockstart won't have the ability to censor anyway. It might be able to discriminate and cause these transactions to have to pay more. Now, an important point before we explain, or you know what, let's do it the other way around. How do we prevent us ourselves from this type of discrimination? Well, by adding... Something like what the using backup nodes and backup networks to do a similar thing. So blocks are broadcast majority of transactions. We do this, but let's assume there is some account that we're legally not allowed to touch because we were told so by the FBI. Whoever creates this transaction, okay, let's say is tax evader or is anything. I don't know. Um, 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 I always call this the the Steven Seagal scenario. Okay, somebody Who comes. Kidnaps my daughter and forces me to try to be evil and prevent these. i like, okay, don't, like, don't allow these transactions to go. In this scenario, in the Steven Seagal scenario, what happened is that whoever is being rejected by BlocksRoute will send it to the backup networks. Backup networks don't want to work this hard. So first thing that they'll do is just send it to BlocksRoute. And if it goes through BlocksRoute, then fine. Like, no problem. So you can't take advantage of them and try to make them work hard. Because the first thing we will do is just try to see if it goes through But if they are indeed discriminated against, and they're not being broadcast, then the backup networks will broadcast these transactions. They have a slice of the address space, this four-byte addri- four ID address space. And they can also do what we do. We'll do majority of it. We have most of the address space. We do this. But in case we discriminate a transaction, These backup networks can do the same. So they won't even suffer from this um, um, economic disadvantage. They would still be broadcasted, maybe five seconds later, maybe 10 seconds later. But they won't cost more, and they're not negatively affected by the fact that they take longer. Because again, it's not important for transactions to propagate fast. It's important for them to reach everybody in sync, and it's important for blocks to propagate fast now can before i see you have another question to follow this but can i make another small comment on fees no Just absolutely think you'll find sure go Sure. Yeah. so in in the current state of affairs in btc and in ethereum the demand of transactions is higher than the capacity of the blockchain, right there are like more there's limited block space and everybody wants their transaction together, they have to outbid one another, and they kind of like up one another. You put one cent, I put two cents, KK put three cents, and whoever pays the most get there. And fees grow very, very, very high. Sometimes I think peak was like something like $50 per transaction on BTC like two years ago. Yeah. Um, but once you start using the blocks route and you scale the blockchain, and you have more capacity in the block than the demand of transactions, the game becomes a completely different economic game. You no longer have to outbid one another to get into the block. The miner has any amount that he wants to. But you have to persuade the miner to include your transaction. Now, why would he include or not include your transaction? If you create a transaction that doesn't pay any fee at all, the miner, when he received it, he said, oh, I have no upside. I'm not getting anything by adding it. But I have a small downside. By adding it to the block, I make it slightly bigger, slightly. And it's going to propagate slightly slower. And it slightly increases the chance of that block not making it in time and for another block to be mined. So for a fork to happen, and my, my reward might be uncled and, and and or orphaned. And it's a small chance, like 0.0001% or something like that, for the transaction to add this risk. But it risks the entire reward. So when a miner sees a transaction coming in, rather than outbidding others, now you have a threshold. Whatever is the like take the risk, multiply by the reward, it ends up being something like a cent per transaction. If your transaction pays a cent or more, he would include your transaction because the upside is bigger than the downside. If you pay less than this threshold, then he won't include your transaction, not in this block, not in the next block, not in the next, 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 next block. It just doesn't give him economic, it's not economically logical to include your transaction. So your transaction must compensate the miner for the marginal risk of adding your transaction in this world of scale blockchains and this is something a lot of people don't don't really get, mostly because they didn't think about it. It's not that it's that complicated but in the world of scale blockchains the game of who needs to pay what is a completely different game. Um, does that kind of make sense?
3: Sure, so uh, yeah. one of the key things that uh, you talked about uh, during this, uh, uh, when you were explaining this, uh, is the fact that you have uh, backup networks, right? And you referred to the backup networks a couple of times. Can you do? Can you elaborate a little bit more about these backup networks? Is this something that is? Uh, is it because? Is it anybody can become a backup network? Is it something that you guys nominate? How how is this uh, backup first. network created?
0: That's a good question, and again, the answer will have two parts. Our original design, which works and is great, but we're trying to improve it. So I'll give you a few insights regarding the update that we did with the idea of like, okay, if we keep everybody in sync regarding transactions, blocks propagate faster, etc. So in our original design, we realized we can't. We 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 successfully made sure that we can't discriminate or censor. But we wanted to make sure that in the doomsday scenario where Blockchair goes down, being shut, it goes down, it being shut down by the government, um, um, again Steven Seagal scenario, whatever happens, everything continued to operate as is without Blockchair, right? Because it's a, if if we go down, everybody go back to three transactions per second, that's a deal breaker. That's not good enough. So we introduced the idea that anybody can run a backup network. You take our code, you deploy a Bitcoin network, or sorry, a backup network, identical to Bloxout, and off yourself, and anybody can do this. It's cheap because that network doesn't actually do anything. It's idle. It doesn't propagate blocks. It doesn't propagate transactions. Just wait, they're not doing anything. And anybody that has a big stake in the blockchain, so if you're a big pool, okay, if you're a big business, if you are the foundation, if you have a big stake in the success of the blockchain, this is a very cheap insurance policy. Deploy your own network. It doesn't do anything. But publish it, gateways will know of the backup network. And you can configure them to who would be your backup network in case blocks will disappear for some reason. And the idea is that anybody could run one. Um, those with a stake in the blockchain has an incentive to do it because it's very cheap. and it, like, if you're a major pool, if are goes down and you no longer hear of blocks and your blocks no longer propagate, that means you're losing money every second. So, for you, it's very, very important to make sure everything continues to operate. And this is the idea of the backup network. Even if we go down, everybody just do a hot swap and move to somebody else's network. It could be temporary until Blockstar goes back on because it was a hiccup, something like in the infrastructure or something like that. And it could be for six months or for two years or for any period of time until each ecosystem will decide, well, maybe out is permanently shut down. What do we want to replace it with? And they have time. Nobody is in any rush. Whoever runs the backup network will have costs, but these costs are dwarfed by how much by, like, oh, if there wasn't a backup network, he'll be losing all his money as a major pool, etc., etc. So that's the... Original idea of the backup networks. Now, after that, when we came with the idea of keeping everybody in sync regarding transactions, which allows for blocks to propagate extremely fast, we then also introduced the idea, and it's a slightly more complex system. Where again, anybody can run a backup network um, unofficially, and this is like this is still in the design phase of how to make this as secure as possible. But you could imagine. That you have a smart contract on Ethereum. You have to put stake there. Who, whoever puts the most money in the backup network will be first priority as a backup network, et cetera. Right? So yes, anybody could put one, but you can't Sybil attack it. So nobody knows which backup network to use. Rather you do a staking and now you have an ordered list. Here are the backup networks. Whoever cares about it the most will put the most money to make sure this continues to operate. And these backup networks, as I explained earlier, get an additional role. Not only do they act as in case blocks out goes down, but also they receive transactions from people who argue that they're being discriminated against. And when they receive that, first of all, they try to do as little as possible because it incur costs. They just send it to blocks route, and if everything is okay, then right. fine. But if we actually discriminate it, then the backup network will broadcast it to everybody else. Does that kind of right. uh, give a good outline?
3: Yeah, it covers it covers all of almost all of it. There is just one piece uh, which I wanted a little clarity on. So we have this idea of broadcasting transactions, and the transaction each transaction has an ID, right? The one byte ID, and you had mentioned it right. earlier that. Uh, blocks route keeps a certain number of bits in that particular ID, whereas the backup networks get the others. Now, in the in the scenario where anybody could create a backup network, how do you actually figure out, you know, okay, can you yeah, have so collisions? Is...
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so the reason, and, and we have to prevent collisions, right? We don't want to use a hash like collisions of like open attack vectors, like like they're terrible in all sorts of ways. And this is where the smart contract and the idea that they're ordered, like, like like the backup networks have to put money in, and again, it doesn't cost it. like it will be okay, released. So, so, and so, the, get like money.
3: so it's almost it's almost like the uh, ENS, right? The Ethereum naming system, basically, where you are mm-hmm. bidding for for a uh, for an address it's, or a subset of the address.
0: So yes, but unlike ENS, so it's a similar idea. Uh, for those in the audience who are not familiar with it. The idea, Oh, everybody put some amount, and each eventually, like, based on your bidding, that you get, like, or don't get um, um, the name mm. that you wanted or the slice. Um, in in ENS, once you get something, then it's yours. I think up and I don't remember forever. Something like that. Here, it's being updated periodically, right? And it, it's not getting everything. Rather, everybody put a bit like you'll put one ETH trying to be a bag network. I'll put two ETH, KK will put three ETH. And so the result would be that he would be, if KK put the most, then he would be number one. He will get a specific slice of the address space, which is going to be larger than mine if I put two ETH. And I'll get a smaller, different um, slice of the address space. And you, who put one ETH, will receive a sm- an even smaller and different flight. And in a week, it readjusted. So anybody can put a bid at any point in time, but we're all in sync regarding, oh, at specific times, we get an update. And now we each know, like everybody know who gets which address. Page. OK. OK. So uh, so that um, makes sense. And again, so then... the, 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 I, I think the principle is sound, and and I think it, explaining the principle is easy and we can go into the details of oh how exactly and how do you make sure that the timing is fine but like these are not very complex challenges to make sure it happens because everybody has visibility to the smart contract. this is why the smart contract is very useful and valuable. everybody participating know who gets which slice.
3: Okay, cool. So uh w- one question that actually leads to is the question of payment, right? So you had mentioned that uh, 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 you you can pay one ETH or you can pay two ETH. Uh, I'm also aware that uh, BloxRout has its own uh, tokens. So is the token... Uh, but one thing I was actually a little confused about, and I think uh, in when I was reading the white paper, I think it got updated, was exactly how does that uh, token get used? Is it a utility token, or is it a, is it just like a security or a stake in the in the company? Uh, so, uh, can, can you elaborate a little bit about uh, you know BLXR? Sure.
0: And just an add-on
2: sure. to that so question before you begin. Uh, so, yeah. again sure.
0: We come to you were quite uh, I was waiting for you to jump in, guns blazing. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I was just waiting for us to, you know, address the economics of the ecosystem. So uh, since Nikhil mentioned about yeah. the BLXR tokens, uh, so will you be having an ICO or is it a different sort of filing uh, for, for the tokens?
0: So, so let me let me. Before answering the smaller parts, let's start with the big chunk, which would be extremely clear. Blockstrout is a security. Okay, it's actually each BLXR mm-hmm. represent a stock. So this is pure. This is equity, not only a security, but really uh, equity at Blockstar. We created a new type of equity, and we're going to talk about why is that valuable and how holding it give you dividends and revenues, etc. But the idea is that if you buy one BLXR, then you get one of the BLXR preferred stocks. So there are 10 million BLXRs or BLXR tokens. And there are 10 million BLXR preferred stocks. There are never going to be any more. There is never any dilution. And the reason to own BLXR is that if you want to invest in Blocks and right? um, I'm going to explain in a second how we make money and how that money becomes really, really big. But the idea is that um, BLXRs are not used in order to stake or in order to, for the service. None is not being used. In any way in the entire system that we just described. Rather, I'm going to outline how we're making money, and the idea is that if you want to get 1% of our revenues, you can buy 1% of the BLXRs. Okay, so like revenues just go to the BLXR holders. Um, now, just to, the, to answer the final point regarding, oh, are you doing an ICO or an offering or something or, or something different? Then. Right now, um, we're doing a Reg D. Okay, this is a security, where that means that it can only be given or it can only be sold to accredited investors, or you can do a Reg A plus and sell securities to unaccredited investors. Now, our goal, and I'll going, I'm going to explain it in a second, why are we doing this, but our goal is to allow anybody to invest in BoxRoute because it aligns everybody's incentive with Blockstrout incentives. So um, we want to do a Reg A plus next year and allow both accredited and unaccredited investors to invest in Blockstrout. But either way, it's going to be a security offering. We're, um, um, We're very, very conservative on this front. We're not trying to pretend this is somehow only a utility and it's not a security. No, this is a security. Okay, this is equity. You want to invest in a startup, you can either be a VC or you can do this. Um, now it brings or it raises the question: why would anybody want to invest in Blocksroute? Um so um okay, are built a really, really cool technology and so it's scale blockchains, but how are we making money? Who is paying us? Because it's not through the smart contract that we discussed earlier. That is just, you stake some amount, but you can always get it back when you, once you're done. This is just in order to get everybody on the same page who are the backup network. So the way for out to make money is that we go to miners and we go to pools, and we offer them to use Blockthroat practically for free. We're not charging pools. We're not charging miners. Why? Because if we gave it to them and we charged them per block right, or per month or some sort of subscription, then as soon as money becomes big, and money becomes really big really fast, we're going to talk about this in a second, if we did this, then immediately we give an incentive for the pools to try not to use blocks out. Right? They'll try to deploy their own block out or vertical, vertical integrate with a competitor, and we open the door. If we offer at price X, whatever X is, and we make a lot of money, Cloudflare will come to the space and say, oh, hold on. Bloxroad has a money printing machine. We want a money printing machine, too. Uh, let's offer exactly the same thing, 50% discount. So if we did the simplest business model, we would be really aiming for a race to the bottom and just to have like all the revenues, like, regardless of our effort in developing the system and deploying it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's not a good business model. So how do you build a good business model around blocks right? We give it practically for free to pools and miners and we offer or let's say differently and leverage the fact that we're being used by the pools and the miners in order to offer fee reductions to users. So earlier on, we said that as soon as you scale blockchains, fees drop to something like a cent. So whether you pay blocks route or don't pay blocks route, fees should fall to one cent. And everybody should be really happy with blocks route. Users pay lower fees, a cent per transaction or so. Miners and pools, even if each fee is ten times smaller, they'll be making thousands of transactions per second, so they can make a hundred times more fees in total. And so they're both happy. But if you are somebody big, okay, if you're a big user, you could be, and a user I mean somebody who makes transactions. So if you're a DeFi product, okay, like Set Protocol, or if you're a Dapp and you have a few million users clicking on stuff, or if you're an aggregator Mm -hmm. of transactions like Infura and Alchemy and a few others we're working with, anybody who's Creating a lot of transaction per second, whether for themselves or whether for others using them. If you're just doing 10 transaction per second and 10 transaction per second is nothing, okay, think about that if you have a decentralized exchange and you have only 10 traders and they're not doing full blown algorithm trading, they do the smallest a bit of, you know, arbitrage versus other exchanges and they do just one transaction per second, 10 traders and Binance has like 4 million traders. So mm-hmm. if you're that small, if you're doing 10 transactions per second and each transaction is paying one cent and there are 31 million cent, uh, sorry, seconds in a year, then the fees you and your customers are paying is $3 million per year in fees. If you have a 100 t- traders, you're paying $30 million per year in fees. And if you're big, if you have a 1,000 traders, which is, again, a very small number, or if your traders are actually doing more, then you could pay 10x more. You could be paying $300 million per year in fees, like really big numbers. They add up really quickly. So what Blocksort offers is coming to anybody who is doing a lot of transaction per second, and we offer a fee reduction service. You can just send a transaction. It will reach the miner. The miner would require something like a cent to include your transaction. Or you can buy a subscription with us. Pay us 10% of a cent per transaction. And it's not really per transaction. Pay us monthly. But the amount should be 10% of a cent per transaction. We would broadcast your transactions to the miners and the pools. And when they receive it from us, they know these transactions are going to be better compressed than transactions they just heard from the peer-to-peer network. So if your, if your transaction doesn't pay them a full cent, they pay them 40% of a cent, okay, a smaller amount, it's still worth it for them to include your transaction. Because it doesn't impose a lot of risk for the pool to include your transaction in the block. So what we're really doing here is that we reduce the risk of adding transactions to the block for pools and miners, and we sell access to this risk reduction, and therefore fee reduction, to users. So if you're somebody who is small, you do up until, let's say, 100 transactions per day. You're an individual. We'll just broadcast it for you for free. It's like uh, Dropbox free tier. We'll just do it for you. We're like what? What do we care? We're good people. You not only will you get one cent per transaction, you'll get at half a cent per transaction or forty per mm-hmm. percent of a cent. You're doing a lot of transaction per second. Let's say you're doing a thousand transaction per day, not per second, but per day, or you want to do ten thousand, etc., etc. You could either pay a cent per transaction or pay us ten percent of a cent. And the miner, 40% of a cent. And in total, you'll pay half a cent. So we can help you cut your cost in half. You're going to get most of the saving here, right? You're going to cut your costs in half. We're getting 10% of a cent. So that's like we're our idea is to create a lot of value and capture just a tiny bit of it, right? 10% of a cent. And the miner is going to accept your transaction even at the lower fee, because we reduce his risk. But just to conclude, and this is like the punchline of it all, we're getting 10% of a cent per transaction. But at, you know, 30,000 transactions per second, and our end game is 300,000 transactions per second, okay? 300, 400, that's the end game. But even at 30,000 transactions per second, just 10% of it. 10% of a cent times 30,000 transactions per second times 31 million seconds in a year is $940 million per year. So we are more than happy to just give away the value to users and miners, et cetera, and capture this tiny, tiny fraction because it ends up being quite a lot. And to go back to your original question about our token, if you, this money, these fees, or these subscriptions, they don't go to blocks circle the company. They go to the BLXR holder, all of it. So we receive it, we, re, we reduce taxes or we deduct taxes because there's no way, there's no legal way to go to avoid it. But we take the revenues, not profits. You don't care about our costs. You don't care about how it, we take that and we give it to the BLXR holder. Now, on day one, we are the BLXR holder, right? We created it and we're always going to be the largest BLXR holder. Because this is our revenue stream. But we want to allow miners, pools, foundations, investors, individuals in the ecosystem, okay, or like if you're the random Ethereum guy, I want you to invest in blockstar to get a piece. And why do I want that and why do I allow you to invest? Because when competition comes, if we offer this service and competition comes, then and they're trying to offer a competing service. Then those who are invested in us generally would prefer us over the competition. So it gives us a competitive advantage to have the ecosystem invested in us. So we're trying to get a really big share of the market, and we want people. We want to allow people to invest in us.
3: So it's it's almost like a circular thing. So basically,
0: exactly. It it honestly it can't be that we extract all this value. We will become the enemy of the people. And it doesn't matter that we give most of the value away and we capture this tiny, tiny thing. In crypto, if you're capturing such a large portion, then you're the bad guy. And people would start to try to avoid using us. So we realize that if money comes from the crypto ecosystem to GlockServe, we have to have a way for that to flow back to the crypto ecosystem. Otherwise, it's just not fair. Right. Uh-
3: Two questions. One is in between that you had mentioned uh, in a certain case. It said you had said transactions per day versus transaction per second. And I just wanted to quickly uh, make sure that uh, you know what what is. Uh, so when you're talking about the free tier, you're talking about transactions per day, and uh, the the rest of the conversation, is transactions per second.
0: No. So, so when you when you think about our Having a subscription with blocks, right? Generally, Mm. if you're not big, right? If you're not a, if you're a small business, if you're an individual, I don't want to charge anything from you. You don't, like, you're not going to pay, think about it. If you're doing a hundred transactions, um, per day, per day, and you're paying me Mm. 10% of a cent per transaction, that means you're going to pay me 10 cent per day. Honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't care. And even if there are many of them, these are the small numbers It's going to follow like, you know, the power law that a lot of small actors are going to make a lot of transactions. So, right. So, so the free
3: tier is essentially on the day level. And then after that is basically when you, when you go beyond right. that.
0: But even after that, money. it's going to be yeah. like, we're doing this on a daily basis. You can buy subscription yearly or monthly or daily, depending on what makes the most like business sense. But if you're making a hundred, sorry, 1,000 transactions per day, okay? You're a store. You you have a 1,000 people getting inside. You're not big, okay? But you do make transactions. You do, like, it's not that small either. So you have, well, at right. that point, well, pay us a dollar per day, and we will save you, well, you, we, we can do the math, we will save you, like, five. Like, like any amount that we save you, we create savings for you and we capture a fraction of these savings. So we tier it by day, I think, because it's going to be easier for businesses to operate that way. For a lot who are actually doing transactions per second, right? We were speaking with, with like DeFi product and, 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 I'm and like, on that. Com-
3: compound and make a and all of those things.
0: Exactly. So everything that happens at scale, well, maybe for them it's no longer per day, rather than per transaction, like per second or per minute, because just because the numbers become really big. But again, okay. it, it all ends up being that we're going to try to save you 60% of a cent per transaction, and we're going to capture 10% of a cent, and you'll capture, like, the user should capture most of the savings. Sure.
3: Okay. Second question on that. So. Uh, in this particular this thing, have you thought about how you're going to account for all of this? So essentially, if you're going to do this in cents per percentages of cents and you're going to uh, do a charge every month or you're going, to, you're going to say, okay, every month you've got to pay me, how do you actually figure out how much anybody owes you? So, so the idea, so that's an
0: excellent question. Think of it, we do this the opposite way. Um, you buy a subscription. And I'm going to give you, again, the high level explanation rather than the low level. Um, you buy a subscription. We don't want to have any single point of failure there as well. So we want, similar to the backup networks, we also want to do the accounts and the capacity that you bought. We also are strongly considering doing this on a smart contract. So if you want to buy an account, you just like, oh, you can do a free one. You just register your account to there, and now transactions oh. coming from you will be accepted there. Or you can pay us and through the smart contract, and now that says, oh, here's your daily capacity. It is now, let's say, 1,000 transactions per day. And so rather it's than... It's almost
3: like a smart contract wallet, it, uh, it
0: where is. basically,
3: yeah. So is. essentially, you're basically adding... Every transaction you do through that smart contract wallet, you add your overhead, and you basically log it.
0: Exactly. Okay. So, so we do this. And in reality, there are some ways you can like try to take advantage of this. Oh, you'll send, you have a quota of 1,000 per day, and then you'll send all of them at the same time to all our servers. At the, and maybe you'll get more. Maybe you'll be able to get like 5,000, or not 5,000, because that will be limited by the DDoS protection mechanism. But you can get a tad more, and we'll figure it out, and the next day we'll we'll give you less. But these are kind of like I don't I the cost of that is very very low, so we prefer to give a strong, good user experience rather than oh what if somebody tried to like you know rip us off? Yeah, like rather that. than uh, I I get it, I get it. That's kind of like our take. Okay. <laughs> yes. a quick so... add question
2: from my end. Uh, i just wanted to piggyback on the uh the funding part so uh, like you mentioned the blxr token is a security right and for a long time uh the icos have been sort of the bad word uh, the regulator unfriendly word right and uh for the general user security token offerings have been seen as you know sort of the next big thing and you know like which will sort of solve the problem of the icos so uh, just for the average user, could you just share a little bit of your experience with regard to, you know, uh, how the SEC looks at it and, you know, because at the end of the day, BLXR is still a cryptocurrency, right, uh, sure. even though it's a security? So if you could just give us some idea with regard to that as well, that, that would be really great. Sure.
0: So, so gladly. I won't call, but before that, blocks, BLXR is not a cryptocurrency, rather it is a digital token, um, like it's not divisible. If you have one, I can't send you half. Like it's not like cryptocurrency, I think, should have specific properties, but that's a side note. Um, to your main question, um, when we started with blocks routes, it was obvious for us what we want to do, and the business model we want to do around it. And it was obvious for us that this is a security. So while pretty much everybody else were doing anything in their power in order to like pretend to be a utility token and know oh it's used this way and that way which some some are actually this way but plenty aren't it's just a way to try to avoid going with the like head to head with the SEC we're like oh we have a security token how do we go about on selling it to the public and allow the public to invest in us so the the easy thing. If you just bring like only regu- uh, accredited investors, there is a regulation called Reg D, which allows you to get investors. And if, um, for the average person in there, like the Reg D means I don't need the SEC to approve me. It's a self approval. I follow these guidelines and that makes sure that I am staying on the legal side. Um, however, if for we, we, we were we were positive and sure, that within two years we're going to have clear guidelines how to do a reggae plus. A reggae plus is how you can sell securities to unaccredited investors. And we waited and we waited, and I don't want to tell you how much money I paid our lawyers for this, la, 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 like really big sums. Like you wouldn't believe how much it costs to pay the lawyers to handle this. Um, and we waited and waited, and at some point we said, you know what, We're not waiting anymore. We're going to do a Reg D. We're going to allow accredited investors. And once we know better how to do and we get clarity from the regulator how to do a Reg A plus, then we'll do a Reg A plus. So we changed course to do a Reg D. And a few months after that, um, Props and Blockstack got approved by the SEC to do do a Reg A plus. And they were the first to, to get approval. And this is critical because now we know what we need to do. Okay, we are very, very conservative. So the question isn't, oh, can we do something and is that illegal? Like we're, we're, we're willing to go- jump through any hoops that they'll put in front of us, but they'll have to tell us which hoops should we jump through. And that was the missing piece. You don't know what is it that they want. So once we got the um, v- like clarity so. from the SEC, um, with drops and, and block stack, then you say, okay, we're going to finish the reg D because we're already in the process of it, but we're going to allow everybody to invest in us in the next round as a Reg A plus. Now I just spent a weekend in a kinda like an invite only crypto retreat which was super, super high, like high quality. A lot of the really good and smart people were there both from the tech side, both from the investment side, but also from the regulatory perspective. And so I can add to my own experience. Um, the question they tried to answer was, in today's landscape, if you want to do a utility token, and again, this isn't Blockstart. It's not relevant for BLXR, but I think it will be valuable for the general public to understand this. If you want to do a utility token offering, the way you go about it is it starts as a security. Okay? You do a security test token sale that could be either a Reg A plus or a Reg D, depending whether for accredited or unaccredited, but you start by making a security sale. And then after it's being used and you have a strong case that people have it and it's decentralized and the uh, um not due test, whatever it's called and The Howie test. Yeah, the Howie test. Then then after you do the security token sale, whether Reg D or Reg A+, you can go to the regulator and tell him, listen, this isn't a security, and then ask for their approval for them that that, this is not a security. And this is how you turn it back into being a utility token, which isn't a security and doesn't follow Security token. So there is no legal way of doing, or to the best of my knowledge, and with the advice I got from really smart people with strong understanding of the law, you can't do a utility token token sale just to ignore the SEC and the security rules. Rather, follow these rules, do as if it's a security to make sure you're okay, and then in retrospect, or kind of like after the fact. Ask for their approval for that. Is that this is not a security, and then you'll reach the same endpoint of having a utility token, which is at the hands of other people, etc. But you can't get reach there directly. That, to the best of my knowledge, is the right regulatory way to do a utility token. Which again, it's not us.
3: Makes sense.
0: Uh, any other questions, Kiki?
2: Uh, no, I think I think we're good.
0: I if we do more free. questions, also, I should start charging you
3: guys for the hour. <laughs> I know, I know, and uh, and I apologize. we we've, we've, we've no, taken sadly no, 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 definitely.
0: I, I enjoyed it tremendously.
3: Yeah, so did we. And I want to take this opportunity to really thank you uh, for the time uh, and uh, you know uh, giving us this chance to interview you and uh, uh, congratulations I, I, on on the release of V1 and uh, i can see that you uh, um, you've got already partnerships with ethereum and uh, uh, it's, it's very impressive to hear that 70 percent of the network is already uh, going through blocks route uh, i'm sure that uh, it will uh, increase uh, uh, one one quick uh, thing so do you have uh, any clarity for us in terms of uh, your roadmap for 2020 from a technical perspective are you Uh, Planning any uh, further uh, updates to the white paper
0: or what's what's your plan? So we're definitely, on the technical level, we're definitely going to update our white paper with our latest updates to the technology, and that's definitely happening. Mm -hmm. And in terms of adoption, we're already working with a lot of high-profile blockchains, whether it's JPM's Quorum, which we're working on their deployment, whether it's Polkadot that we are in very serious discussions, whether it's a, if you either um, and whether it's uh, ontology and Metadium in Korea, like we're, we're we have a lot going on, and um, I don't know, go to our Twitter page or do our Medium or whatnot, like like follow that, and then you'll or you know what the best thing would like oh sign up for a newsletter or something like that, and you'll get updates as we make wow. progress.
3: That's, that's awesome. Okay, I mean, uh, do you have any links or uh, uh, things that we can uh, put so in the show notes? Me,
0: so we're called blocks Route because we route blocks, uh, right? So we're B-L-O-X-R-O-U-T-E. If you Google blocks Route, you'll find me, you'll find our Twitter handle, like the our account. It's super, you'll find our website, which we have a great, Two-minute video explainer what we do, so it's really very easy to find us. Anybody who Google's us.
3: That's pretty much it. Uh, I just wanted to say one final thanks, Yuri, for doing this interview. Uh, I'm very uh, aware that uh, you know you must be having a very busy, you've been having a very busy schedule. So we'll catch up maybe again after a couple of years to see how Blockstart is coming along.
0: Thank you, guys. It's been a blast. I really appreciate you having me. All right, folks.
1: That was our interview with Dr. Uri Klaman from Blockshoot Labs. We hope that you found this episode on Layer 0 scaling useful. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.